Well, as you know, a threshold is that piece of wood or stone that's beneath a doorway, the place of coming in or going out, of moving from one room to another. And in more existential terms, it can mean the in-between place dividing what was from what will be, a turning point, a turning point. And thresholds can change us. They can be places where we realize we'll never be quite the same again. When I was a child of five, I opened my heart to Jesus in my Baptist church. It was a threshold, a first step into spiritual life. But sometimes we're pushed into thresholds by disruption or chaos. It might be an unexpected geographic move or a trauma of some kind, a theological shift, or simply a change in circumstances, leading us from past ways of thinking or being into new ones. A threshold can be quite positive or less so. It might be something that happens to us through no fault of our own or some personal stumble we, that may propel us into a threshold. And when we stand in that kind of in-between place, we well know what it looks like on this side. But we can only imagine what it'll look like on the other side after we move through the threshold to a new space. We could say that Redeemer is experiencing a threshold as a church. And from our Old Testament reading for today in Genesis 28, Jacob indeed was at a threshold. You remember, you could tell the story as well as I. Jacob and Esau were twins born to Rebekah and Isaac. Born in their old age as a fulfillment of a promise made by Abraham, made to Abraham years earlier. God had promised that he would make Abraham's family into a great nation. So Esau was born first, which would make him the head of the family when the father died, and it entitled him to two-thirds of the inheritance. But probably in their teenage years, in a moment of weakness or gluttony or ignorance or all three, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for the equivalent of a burger and fries. And then, as their father Isaac was about to die, Jacob disguised himself to deceive his father and receive the blessing intended for the firstborn. It was a double whammy. Jacob stole the birthright and the blessing. Understandably, Esau was filled with rage and he threatened to kill Jacob. So Rebekah, their mother, the fixer, arranged for Jacob to be sent away to her family in Haran, where Jacob was to find a godly wife. And Jacob's absence would also give Esau time to cool off. So Jacob becomes a fugitive, banished, alone, separated from his family, the chaos in his life, some of his own doing, pushed him into a turning point. He had left all that was familiar, 
and didn't yet know what was ahead. He was in a threshold, an in-between place. Not very far into the trip, tired and worn out, Jacob stopped for the night. I'm guessing he rolled up his cloak, threw it on a rock for a makeshift pillow, and lay down. He was probably looking over his shoulder for Esau, wondering whether he would be attacked in the night. But he finally fell into a fitful sleep, leaving himself quite vulnerable. And then Jacob, who was so good at trying to control his life through manipulation and deceit, had a dream. In it, he has an encounter with God that's initiated by God. It's completely out of Jacob's control. Many of us have had thresholds in our lives where we needed to relinquish control to God. I had one when I was in my 20s, long ago. Though I wasn't really seeking God, he was seeking me. And I came to a place and a time for relinquishment, relinquishment of my own will. Jacob wasn't seeking God either. He was only trying to save his own skin, looking for an escape from his brother, and yet he got much more. For all the doubts people have about dreams and visions, the biblical narrative insists that such things do actually happen. But the surprise here is not so much that he had a dream or even that God appeared to him in a dream. But the utter shock is that Yahweh revealed himself to this loser. This loser who's been exiled from his own family because of arrogance, deceit, and greed. Theologian Walter Brueggemann says about the meeting between Jacob and God, the miracle... The miracle is a way is the way this sovereign God binds himself to this treacherous fugitive. No matter how many times Jacob messed up, none of them were so great as to derail God's purposes and plans. God hung in with him and met him in the threshold. And my mess-ups and years of indifference toward God did not thwart what God wanted to do in me either. Had Jacob not failed miserably in his own family, had chaos not surrounded him, he may not have met God at Bethel in exactly the same way. God knew how to reach him, and God knew how to reach me. When I worked with children as a speech and language pathologist and was teaching them to produce consonant sounds, I used auditory and visual modeling to teach them to produce phonemes, and that provided a foundation for them learning to speak. These were little preschoolers. In the dream, Yahweh fills Jacob's subconscious with visual and auditory stimuli also. Dreams can simply be reviews of something that happened in our conscious experience, often things we're afraid of. But in this case, that wasn't what Jacob dreamed about. This dream presented to him, again in Brueggemann's words, an alternative future with God. 
This dream presented to him an alternative future with God, and no one was more surprised than Jacob himself. A part of the visual display was a ladder or kind of a ramp. On it were angels going from heaven to earth and back again with the angels of Yahweh at the top. Jacob had assumed he was traveling alone and he was focusing on his own survival. But as he gazed on this holy stairway between heaven and earth, I imagine that he may have had some important insights as he found himself in this in-between place. First, God comes where he's not anticipated. He's a God of surprises. Second, I think as Jacob gazed at that ladder, he realized that there's this direct connection between heaven and earth. And God's people on earth can count on the resources of heaven when they're in difficult places. And then thirdly, God will not ever forget or give up on his people, even though the process may be slow. So then God speaks to Jacob in an audible voice. He had the visual and now the audible repeating the promise he's made to Abraham and Isaac and redefining everything for Jacob. His family will become a great nation. It isn't just about him. The promise Jacob receives is that others will be drawn into the family. But then there's an addendum to the promise that is especially for Jacob. I am with you, God says. He's not been deserted. Yahweh will accompany him on the journey, bringing him to the other side. These words, I am with you, would be repeated to Moses and Jeremiah, to the nation of Israel as a whole, and it would be the name given to Jesus, the name that holds his essence, God with us. This is the core belief of our faith, one we can't hear often enough. He is with us. God is willing to cast his lot with Jacob and with you and with me. We are not alone. I am with you. He says it over and over again. It's the antidote for our deepest fears. And then God says to Jacob, I will watch over you. Picture a parent watching a child who's wading into a lake or an ocean. We saw this on our vacation in Mexico as little children waded into the Pacific Ocean and the waves were breaking and the parents were standing and watching, looking for little dark curly-headed boys and little girls with red swimsuits. The parents watched them every single moment and Yahweh keeps his eyes on us. No matter what's going on or what threshold we're in. Psalm 32 says it this way. We read it this morning. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. 
Finally, God says, I will bring you back to this land. And there's this image of coming home, coming home to one's land, to one's family. Now, of course, families are not always safe places. Jacob's certainly had not been. But Yahweh's desire is to make Jacob's home, and yes, our homes and our relationships and our churches, into safe places. I believe this is certainly God's desire for Redeemer, though the way hasn't necessarily been easy or smooth. Brueggemann beautifully describes what has happened. Jacob came to this deserted place, fleeing for his life. He departs from this encounter changed by the only thing that can change us, a word which makes available an alternative future, an alternative reality. The word was spoken to Jacob when he was in a threshold. When we're in a threshold, it can be very important to recognize and acknowledge what we're moving out of and what we're moving into, though that part often comes more gradually. When Jacob approached Haran, he had no idea what was ahead. But when he woke up, he woke up to God. Listen to Jacob's words. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate or the threshold of heaven. He thought, I almost missed the doorway to heaven, but I wasn't aware of it. What was true for Jacob is often true for us, too. We can miss God in the threshold because of the chaos. I challenge you to not let that happen. Don't miss what God is doing right here, right now. So now I suggest that you ask yourself a question. Have the circumstances of my life or my church moved me into a threshold that has the potential of transforming reality in some way? Many of you here, if not all of you, could say yes. For some of you, there may also be something else besides church in your life that qualifies as a threshold. And navigating more than one threshold at a time can be particularly challenging. But whether you're thinking about the threshold of where Redeemer is, or if you have another threshold that seems even more urgent, either way, Here's a spiritual exercise for you. Some of you wondered what this picture of a door was about on the proclamation page. You can just turn it like this. This one is, it's red, but yours is uh, grayscale. Um, so if you look at it this way, I suggest that you picture this doorway a visible threshold between two rooms. On the left, and I don't want you to do this now during the sermon, but later, please, jot down your past reality. And if it's about church, write down what church has been for you for the time you've been at Redeemer. 
here on the left side. Just put down whatever words come to you. I don't suggest you do this quickly or you force it. Take some time. Some things will be positive, others concerning. Some things you'll want to hold, other things you'll want to let go of. They could go here on the left side. And then on the right of the doorway, jot down any insights, fears, hopes, aspirations you might have for the future of Redeemer or whatever threshold you are working with. Remembering, remembering that God is a God of surprises. Now, some of you will be able to write quite a bit on both sides and others, depending on how verbal you are, you may have a little more difficulty. Some things may remain the same on both in both places. Some will change. On both sides, though, be as honest as you can be. You may write your own feelings, anticipation or uncertainty or excitement or hope or fear, or maybe, maybe you'll sense a word from the Lord about the church, here or here. Put it in the future or in the past. This is how I did this for the threshold that Bill and I entered into when we left the Baptist tradition and moved into an Anglican setting. On the left, I wrote, communion is a remembrance. The Bible is important. Baptism by immersion only. Preaching is the primary focus of worship. Non-sacramental and growing dissatisfaction. On the right, sacramental view of baptism and communion. Wow, that was a biggie. Ancient liturgy, Bible, still important. Blending of sacrament, word, and spirit. Tears of joy coming home. So now let's come back to the middle section, the doorway. That represents the space in between. If you're thinking about church, you're in this in-between time right now, and it's gone on a while. So write down what you're feeling. It could be a mix. That mix will look different for each of you. For some, it might be an ongoing sadness over some losses and maybe some fear about the future. For others, you may discover relief or expectancy for what's ahead, or again, a mix. Others of you can't really get in touch with what you're feeling. There's ambiguity and confusion, and it feels overwhelming. Write that down. You can put it right in the middle. It's very critical not to rush through, but to stay in the moment. Get in touch with your feelings. Psalm 32 reminds us not to run ahead like horses tend to do, not lag behind like mules tend to do. That's a good word for us when we're doing an exercise like this. Stay with Jesus in the threshold. Remember, he says, I am with you wherever you are. I am with you. Stay with Jesus in the threshold and move as he moves. 
This little exercise is offered simply to help you awaken and become aware of what's going on inside of you in this in-between time. Stay open for God to speak. All the help of heaven is available to you. And remember, remember that your brothers and sisters are on this journey too. And it may look different than yours. It also may look similar. And the challenge is not to dwell too long on the past, as good or troublesome as that, that may have been, or to jump immediately into the future, sort of prematurely, but to stay in the threshold and hear God's threshold words, I am with you. I will watch over you. In fact, his specialty seems to be meeting people in times of threshold, just as he did Jacob. If we submit to him and let the threshold do its work under the watchful eye of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to be afraid. And yes, like Jacob, we will never be quite the same again. We will be transformed. Jacob marked his threshold with a stone memorial, so he'd never forget what happened there at Bethel when he passed that way again. Our, Bill's and my, Baptist to Anglican memorial was a movie that you've probably never heard of. It's, the title is Strictly Ballroom, and it was about ballroom dancing, the story of a young man who broke free from the traditional step, steps he was required to use in competition, uh, ballroom competition dancing, and he started to do his own steps, creative steps, and that movie became a metaphor for our lives. Our kids then, who were young adults, gave us a Chagall print of a couple dancing with an angel superimposed over them. And the words had been written by one of our kids, learning new steps, mom and dad. It's hanging in our family room yet. We'll never forget. So Jacob set up a stone of remembrance, and then he made a vow saying, among other things, Yahweh will be my God. Now, read the vow carefully. You heard it read. It wasn't a perfect promise because it was conditional. It had this if-then arrangement. And we know that spiritual people don't make those kinds of bargains with God. But even though Jacob's faith was imperfect, God still hung in with him. And God is hanging in with you. And with Redeemer, for goodness sake. He loves this church. Sure, Jacob still had some growing to do, but his stone of remembrance and his vow were his first awkward steps toward exploring the threshold he was in. His faith may have wavered, but he was gradually getting it. And we hear it in his words that we have already read, surely, surely the Lord is in this place. This, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. The Lord is in this place. He has been with you in the past in wonderful ways, and you will remember those times 
with thanksgiving. And that's right, and that's good. Some will focus more on the pain. Some things will seem clear, others confusing. But God is with you right now, right where you are. And God will be with you in surprising and amazing ways in the future. It'll be different in some ways, and it'll be alike in other ways. But he will be with you. His eye is upon you. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. It is just who God is. It's his essence. He cannot and will not leave you. Let's be still. Oh, Lord Jesus, may my brothers and sisters hear your word through this recounting of Jacob's story. May they have a deep assurance of your presence and your promise. I am with you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.